another episode of Professors at Work from the American University of Beirut. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Thank you for joining us. Every week we talk to a professor or a researcher or a visiting scholar or somebody at AUB who's doing original research, and we find out what they're discovering, what it means for the rest of us, and what they're planning to do next. I'm very happy this week to have as uh, my guest, Sonia Mesher Atasi who is Associate Professor of Arabic and Comparative Literature at AUB, and her interests range far and wide in culture and history and archives and libraries and um, intercultural relations, and she's working on a very exciting new book now that's uh, almost done, and she'll tell us about it. Um, Sonia, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Rami, for having me. Thank you very much. So tell us, what's this uh, book that you've now almost completed? Um, give us some background, why, what it's about, and, and why you chose it. Sure. Um, so first of all, um, the title, it's entitled That Impossible Friendship in Jerusalem Before 1948 and Its Afterlives. So um, it brings to life an extraordinary group of young men and women, some of whom went on to become internationally acclaimed writers, artists, and intellectuals. It was a very diverse group of friends. It included Arabs and Jews. And of course, these categories were in a dynamic process of transformation in British mandate Palestine. So these friends met regularly at the bar of the King David Hotel in Jerusalem as World War II was coming to an end. Then with the ground that had made their friendship possible, literally blasted out from under them with the bombing of the hotel by the Irgun, which was one of the really first terrorist attacks in modern history. And then the events of 1948, the Nakba, they were dispersed around the globe. So my book starts with the bombing and I then go back in time to reconstruct in pieces, in fragments, what made this friendship possible in Jerusalem before 1948 and what happened to this friendship afterwards. Um, yeah. So it's through the lens of a group portrait that I set out to read the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from before it was in the literal sense an Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that is before the establishment of the State of Israel, and to shed light on everyday life and intimacies. So is this, is this book about um, Christians, Muslims, and Jews in Jerusalem? Is it about Jerusalem? Is it about the conflict? What's the kind of, for you, the big theme of this book? Um, so it is about the conflict. In a way, it is an alternative history, right, of this conflict and of also the cultural history of Jerusalem. So what I'm trying to do um, it's really like a micro history and a group biography. And I'm trying to give names, faces and life stories to the city of Jerusalem before 1948. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, and I'm drawing really here. It's a very interdisciplinary project. 
So I'm drawing on literary studies, but also on the social sciences, and more specifically on literary and social biography, with the aim to draw a more complex, inclusive, transnational, and entangled, uh, a more personalized picture of life in Jerusalem. Um, maybe I can tell you a little bit more about the individuals at the center yeah. of my book. Yeah. So, sure, and tell us, are, are some of these individuals people who are well-known, or are they obscure local figures, or what? No, no, uh, they're they are pretty well-known. So I zoom in on five individuals who are pretty well-known, at least the men, three men and two women, but they have not been studied in context before. So the new thing, if you want, is to really look at them in to see how their stories, you know, uh, interconnect. So the first one uh, uh, is Walid Khalidi, who's from an old and distinguished Jerusalemite Muslim family of legal scholars, educators, and political leaders. Mm -hmm. And he is known uh, today as a world-renowned historian of modern Palestine and the co-founder of the Institute of Palestine Studies. Now, I'm interested in him as a young man. So in the early 40s, he was barely 18 years old, right? Wow. Uh, so uh, he was very interested in literature. He was writing poetry. Um, so uh, it's not the Walid Khalidi that we think of when we think of the Institute for Palestine Studies and so on. Right. Um, another, uh, so there are three men. The second one is Wolfgang Hildesheimer, who was born in Hamburg into a middle-class German Jewish family, which left Germany for Palestine in 1933 when the Nazis came to power. And right. Gained recognition in post-war German literature as a playwright, a novelist, and a biographer of Mozart. Now, whereas his parents were really at home in German Zionist circles, he developed an anti-Zionist stance and left Palestine for London first time in 1937 to study stage design. But then right. with the outbreak of World War II he returned to Jerusalem. He then, after the war, left again for London, where he was hired by the U.S. Embassy as an interpreter in the Nuremberg trials. And this wow. is when he returned to Germany. He later settled, because also he was fed up with also post-war Germany, he later settled in Switzerland. Now, the third one is Jabra Ibrahim Jabra, was born into a Syriac Orthodox Christian family, and he grew up in poverty in Bethlehem, but found significant social mobility through education. So he's a graduate, he studied at the Arab College in Jerusalem. Right. His father was the principal of that college, Ahmad Sami al Khalidi, and then he studied at the University of Cambridge. After 48, after the Nakba, he embarked on a new life in Baghdad, where he was to play a major role as a literary writer, an art critic, and a translator of Shakespeare, Beckett, and Faulkner. So these right. are three men, but I also zoom into the life stories of two women, Rasha Salam and Sally Kassab. Now, 
with no publications to their names, these women, like so many other women the world over, have really fallen through the cracks of history. And my book, what I'm trying to do is to imagine, even in fragments, if in fragments only, their lives. So they were part also of this group of friends. Mm -hmm. And this group, they met regularly at the King David Hotel. And, and what was the purpose of their meetings, as far as you could tell? Um, the purpose of their meetings, they were friends. So they, you know, small talk, they really got along. They had a lot of common interests, especially in English um, literature. They were all kind of aspiring, as I said earlier, writers, artists, intellectuals. Um, also Hildesheimer and Jabra both also worked at the um, YMCA, which was um, across the street from, um, and still is across the street from the King David Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, so, but they also met at other places, right, um, across uh, Jerusalem. But they regularly met at the bar of the hotel. And it was a larger group, so they had other friends who would also join them. What we have to understand is that Jerusalem before 48 was an ordinary city, as Salim Tamari says. Yes. An ordinary city of cosmopolitan uh, character. Now, mm -hmm. uh, and his life then was cut short uh, by the Nakba. Now, the word cosmopolitan has been applied sometimes, you know, rather uncritically. Uh, right. For Middle Eastern, you know, context, often, you know, it comes with kind of nostalgic, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, kind of a nostalgia for past, better right. times. Um, what we have to understand is that this cosmopolitan character, really, of the city, really evolved to a large extent out of Ottoman tradition, so overlapping identities that were very much, you know, in the making at the time, and that were met with cultural and political aspirations for renewal during the Nahda, as well as with the League of Nations system of mandates and increased Jewish immigration and an influx of foreign soldiers during World War II. So a lot of different, you know, people from various places coming together in these years in Jerusalem. So is it your aim in uh, doing this book to make a statement about the emerging cosmopolitan, multicultural, dynamic urban society in Palestine before the Nakba? Or are you just saying, no, this is just a group of friends and their story and their relationships are fascinating, and we can't really draw bigger conclusions. Um, so first of all, let me say that, yes, it is a fascinating story. So I think it's a story that sometimes uh, while writing this book, I was kind of wishing, you know, I was saying, oh, it would be nice to be a novelist and, you know, to write a novel. I, mean, yeah. I think it's a story that deserves to be told, first of all. But also, yes, of course, I think it's a story that allows us, as I said earlier, kind of to gain a more personalized picture 
of what life was like at the time. Of course, here we are dealing with an urban elite, but what this story really tells us and why I think also my book matters is that, um, you know, so, so life, so there's a battle, let me start here. There is a battle certainly between seemingly incompatible memories when it comes to Palestine before 1948, right? And a number of people have written about this. Uh, Alaida Asman, there's also a book that I referred to by Bashir Bashir and Amos Goldberg that's mm-hmm. a entitled The Holocaust and the Nakba, a new grammar of trauma and history. So in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm building uh, on such comparative perspective, really to read together what has been conceived of an unbridgeable dichotomy, right? So right. certainly the story of this group is in stark contrast to narratives that depict Palestine, Zionist narratives that depict Palestine as a backward country in need of colonization, you know, um, so or, or land, you know, as a as a propaganda land, yes. uh, 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 without the people for people without, uh, sorry, a country without a people uh, for people without a country. So, so certainly it's. I, I'm trying to, it's kind of an, a counter history, if you want, right? Um, and there is an urgency to this because the individual lives at the center of my book are being lost. They're literally disappearing from visibility against the background of current developments in the region where diversity is dealt with as a threat, right? Where we have ideologies so powerful of one religion, one people, and one language that dominates the politics of the day. And we see that very clearly with the separation walls that have completely disfigured um, the very landscape um, of Palestine. So to recall the time, and, you know, certainly we can only do this in fragments, and there are lots of problems we face because of the situation of archives. Maybe I can say more about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it, it's really important to, to recall um, that, you know, there was so much diversity and so many different, there were so many different life stories coming together and that friendship was possible, right? So that people did interact and um, uh, did have different visions, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for uh, the future. So, yeah. Yes. One of your interests um, is uh, the use of archives and the role of libraries and university archives and things like that. And, and you've uh, dealt with this in terms of uh, contemporary or modern um, dramatists and uh, li- uh, literary figures in the Arab world. So tell us a little bit about the the kind of research you had to do to get the information that you needed about these uh, these people. I think you, only one of them, Walid Khaldi, was alive and you could interview him, and the others you had to do archival research, right? Yes. Uh, so Walid uh, Khalidi is still alive, and I'm very, very grateful uh, that I've been able to interview him. It's actually 
these interviews turned into conversations and then turned into kind of private tutorials. So he was very, very grateful and taught me, um, taught me really a lot. Uh, so yes, but I've also interviewed other people, you know, so there are a number of people. For example, uh, Suhail Boulos, who was a classmate of Walid Khalidi in Jerusalem and a medical doctor here at the AUBMC, uh, uh, who, who, who is uh, still alive and with whom I meet actually regularly over coffee and who's telling me so many mm -hmm. wonderful stories about this time so so uh yes i've worked quite a bit with doing interviews conversations uh so or if you want all memories but also with um archives but archives really the world over because uh when we work um so on the history of the region there's there, there certainly uh, you know, there are lots of questions um, that we have to face when we deal with um, archives. First of all, a lot of material has been destroyed due to war, to conflict. But when it comes to Palestine, also, as I said earlier, there's this battle of narratives, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of material has been displaced, right? And some has been incorporated also into Israeli state archives, the National Library of Israel and certainly um, archives, as I said, are dispersed. So, um, uh, so I there are the, certainly the archives of former colonial powers, right? But also mm -hmm. private collections. So I've worked quite a bit with private collections. Um, now, Wolfgang Hildesheimer, his personal papers are very well preserved in German archives, and. Yes. He wrote letters to his parents, weekly letters over a period of more than 30 years. Wow. So, uh, and there's, there have been a number of uh, recent biographies also written about him. So, mm -hmm. is, um, is really well um, documented. But um, yes, you know, doing this archival work, first of all, it's wonderful, the kind of surprises, you know, the kind of things you find in archives. But for me, this book was also, it was really a journey because it allowed me to bring together so my interest in real life narratives and cultural and intellectual history in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but also strands of my own life, right? Mm -hmm. As archival research, I undertook in preparation for, of writing this book, took me to locations really across the Middle East but also it took me, as I said, back to Germany, where one of my books, you know, main subjects, Hildesheimer, was born and returned to after World War II. So I found myself researching not only Middle Eastern history, but also European and specifically German history and literature right. and its entanglement in the history of the Middle East. And this is something I didn't expect and something that was really eye-opening for me. I guess this emphasizes also the continuing importance of, of interdisciplinary studies, which is one of the things that great universities do. Thank you. Yes, I strongly believe in interdisciplinary studies because always I feel that, you know, these kind of disciplines and departments, I mean, it's good to be grounded, you know, in, 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 in 
you know, had some disciplines, but they put us in straight jackets and we really need to break um, out of these. Maybe here I can tell you very briefly about a summer school I'm co-organizing on the top sure. of my yeah. so we'll, end, we'll have to end with that. So go ahead and tell us the plans you're, so what you're going to do next. Uh, so, because it's very interdisciplinary, so I'm co-organizing a collaboration um, of AUB with the Orient Institute Beirut at the Global Peace Center. And we are doing a summer school which is taking place in Beirut this June. And there'll be a number of also public online uh, talks. It's entitled Moving Biography. And what we aim to do is to decenter biography and literally move biography studies beyond Eurocentric notions of writing, life, person, and selfhood. And our group, so we are literary uh, uh, scholars, but also historians, sociologists, anthropologists. So a number of disciplines here coming together, and we really want to see how life writing biography matters in mm -hmm. discipline. Um, in our discipline. So yes, I, 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 I completely agree with what you said. Interdisciplinary work is really um... well. With, on that note, we need to end. Uh, we've run out of time. I thank our guest, uh, Professor Sonia Mesheratasi at the American University of Beirut. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good luck. And thank you to our audience for joining us. And join me again next week for another episode of Professors at Work. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Bye for now.